Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Smart Cities Chronicles, your podcast for everything Smart Cities action, investment, and outcomes. My name is Adam Beck. I'm host of the Chronicles. My day job is executive director at the Smart Cities Council for Australia and New Zealand, uh, and delighted to bring you episode 77 of the Chronicles today. We head over to the delightful New Zealand, and joining me, I have Jen and Ian from the Waikato region uh, and Hamilton City Council. Good morning to you both. How are you? Good morning, Adam. Really good, thanks. Good morning. I'm great too. It's another beautiful day in paradise. Yes, yes. If only we could get there. That's uh, yeah, indeed. <laughs> that's uh, that's the issue. Um, Ian, let's uh, let's start with you. Can you give us a sense of who you are and what you do? So I'm I'm the professor of environmental planning at the University of Waikato. So I lead the planning program there. Also, um, a couple of visiting positions at other universities around the world. So I basically do research on how to improve our use of land and resources. Um, some of it's New Zealand based, but actually most of it isn't. So I tend to work more internationally around some ideas of new visions of planning. So that's a very brief sum up of what I'm interested in. Fantastic. Uh, and, and Jen, tell us a little bit about your role and what you're responsible for at uh, Hamilton City Council. Sure thing. So I have this fabulous title. I'm the General Manager of City Growth at the Hamilton City Council. Um, and what that means is that I have quite a broad remit um, that covers long-term planning for a much larger city. So we think about um, Hamilton in a boundaryless way. We've got really tight boundaries for a city. So we think about um, what Hamilton's going to look like in 50 to 100 years time and kind of lay down the foundations for that. And then my remit kind of runs back through the land use planning right through resource consenting and building consenting right through to the actual built, the built product at the end. So, so I've got, got the, full, the full gamut of growth going on. Um, how long have you been there, Jen? Uh, I've been... And back in Hamilton for three years, so I grew up here, okay. um, then went overseas for five years, lived in Auckland for the last 15. So I've been in this role for about two and a half years. Okay, excellent. Uh, I, lo I love that title as well. And um, Jen, we have listeners scattered all over the world. Um, some may not know exactly where New Zealand is, nor where Hamilton or the Waikato is uh, in country. Can you share... Can you share sort of some, um, some some geographic sort of calibration for us? And also, why do people love Hamilton? It's a great question. Um, so I'm not I'm not going to tell you where New Zealand is, Adam. I'm going <laughs> to figure that if people haven't figured that one out, they can Google it. That's right. They so Hamilton, hang up now. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, Hamilton is at the top of the North Island, just south of Auckland. So it's about an hour and a half drive south of Auckland. Um, Thirty-seven kilometres to Hobbiton. 55 kilometres to the Waitomo Caves, probably the two most well-known uh, landmarks around the Waikato. So um, Hamilton, uh, Hamilton's a great place. Like People love being in Hamilton because it's close to everything. So it's a 90-minute drive to half the population in New Zealand. It's, uh, you know, literally if you drive for 20 minutes in any direction, um, you're not in Hamilton anymore. You're in, in the broader Waikato region. So it's really close to beaches. It's close to the mountain. It's close to all sorts of uh, rivers and, and mountains. And there's, it's got close to the big city. Um, but it's a really booming um, town. It's grown faster than the rest of New Zealand uh, for a number of years and continues to do so. So uh, it's certainly a city on the rise. And what's the population at the moment, Jen? About 170,000. 
Yeah, okay, okay. And that's a good point to just pick up because there's a lot of research coming now about, you see all these global city rankings about the best places to live in the world, <laughs> but they're not really robust from a research perspective. And, and what we're finding from the user experience is there's a sweet spot in city size which is from about 150,000 to about half a million, where you get a lot of the benefits of the cluster of people, you get the amenities, but you don't get the two hours in traffic. Mm. And so it's getting to, it's just on the cusp of becoming that kind of city where it's got the sweet spot. And, and just the other point with regard to maps, there's actually a real interest in geography and planning sort of circles about so often New Zealand gets left off global maps because it's just easier to cut it. And we actually got let off one of the one of the one of the maps that was actually on COVID, which was very appropriate because we don't want anyone to know we are this safe haven at the end of the world. <laughs> and so it does get um, knocked off some of the maps, but some of the ideas and some of our lifestyle really make it such an attractive place to live. And our ideas are transferable beyond New Zealand. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been to the city probably three times now. And I have to say, this is going to sound so cliche. I had the best lamb in my entire life in, in Hamilton. It was absolutely incredible. Um, so, so Ian, picking up on your point there, um, this, uh, this conversation we're having uh, is around planning around cities uh, and how they sort of come together. And of course, you know, growth and, and how we, uh, how we grow our cities. Um, I, I reached out to you both because an article caught my eye last month or thereabouts, and it was in the context of um, the New Zealand government's uh, sort of infrastructure stimulus program in response to COVID, you know, shovel-ready projects, a call for sort of uh, ideas. Um, Hamilton decides to put up this idea of a 20-minute city. So firstly, you totally buck the trend on the idea of shovel-ready, you know, men and women in high-vis high vests and hard hats digging holes with machinery. You put forward 20-minute city concept. Um, so A, it caught my eye from that perspective. Secondly, um, as, a, as a past uh, resident and um, worker, in Portland, Oregon, in uh, the United States, uh, and also a, um, uh, a, a no longer practicing urban planner by trade, um, I geek out on that stuff significantly. And in the past few years, I've, um, I've had to deal with uh, Australian cities uh, somewhat, um, uh, you know, bludgeoning the traditional idea of what I would call the 20 minute neighborhood in terms of where it came out of its origins in Portland and turning it into this sort of 30 minute city where you can drive everywhere in 30 minutes or get around in 30 minutes. And I kind of, I felt that it really lost its true sort of, you know, heritage and meaning. And then uh, here's Hamilton up at pop. So uh, here we are on the line now, Ian, I want to start with you. Talk to me about, uh, your, and when I say your, I mean, as a, as a, as an academic, but also sort of, you know, on behalf of the region there, what's the interpretation there of, of your 20 minute city concept? How does it compare with others? Talk me through the, the thought process behind it for you guys. So just, um, to go back to this, our 20 minute vision or 20 minute city is basically, if we define it, it's around the idea of having a lot of your needs met within a 
20 minute distance from where you where you live so it's essentially around linking land use with amenity and it's um it is actually very shovel ready because a lot of the measures that it involves don't involve major road building for example which is what takes up a lot of time so it's more shovel ready the kind of jobs where we're actually retrofitting the new urban landscape can actually happen quite quickly so the idea is to to bring the kind of issue uh, the lifestyle you want to the fore of our planning decisions so one of the problems i've had with planning not just in new zealand but in other places around the world is i don't think we have the right planning discussions so it tends to be around numbers so number of houses and also about speed how quickly can we get processes and i think that's doing the population of those countries and those cities a great disservice because planning's one of the means where we can actually reallocate land and resources and make decisions for the public good for future generations of uh, as well as us now so we went back to the start with the 20 minute idea which was instead of just responding to a stimulus it was to think about what is of value and what is of value to the inhabitants of uh, cities and to think about to what extent does our laws our regulation enable that to happen and that's where we had the bit of a gap so the 20 minute idea is putting people first it's thinking about your lifestyle and the amenities that will deliver that and it puts infrastructure in its place so we see all around the world at the moment it's infrastructure-led renewal but it's Canada, the US, Australia, the UK, very similar conversations around infrastructure. Its purpose is to kickstart the economy and to create short-term jobs. But that's not its purpose. The infrastructure is there to serve us, to provide, to enhance our daily life. And if we separate those two conversations, we're not actually representing you know, the people who are meant to represent in our cities really well. So that's part of the thinking about a 20-minute city is that we should do planning differently but to do that you need a vision and it's not just about numbers or it's not just about speed it's it's an overall vision and then you can align your policies your plans your regulation to deliver that but to do so requires significant investment and that's why we put it in towards the infrastructure fund and and, and that's why we're we're working in partnership with the city council and new zealand transport agency too so um Jen, is Ian just a mad raving academic here in terms of these ideas? How does this actually align with sort of city policy and ideas? What's your response to this? And, and obviously, this is a partnership that, uh, that that has gotten so far that you, you you've put it up for sort of potential national sort of interest and investment. What's the city's view on this? Look, I think that uh, this this is a. I feel like this is an idea for Hamilton. That time has come. That actually we've been kind of talking and moving in this direction in lots of different ways for quite some time. And this this uh, stimulus opportunity has, has given us the impetus to kind of weave all of these projects together. Because like any city, we've got all sorts of amenity projects and transport projects and urban renewal projects happening anyway. Um, but this has really uh, fast-tracked um, a more place-based and people-centric way of thinking about how our city grows. I think as Ian uh, mentioned earlier, we're at this, at this beautiful time in the life of the city where we're not yet full of congestion. We don't have this you know, real sort of pain point that we're dealing with. We have this opportunity to think about how do we 
create and continue to create the kind of Hamilton that's going to continue to attract the people that we need and want to continue to, to grow into this vibrant centre. Um, and this idea of the 20 minute city um, has grown some pretty big strong wings in the last month or so because it feels right it feels right as a human and on a human level um, it feels like the kind of thing I want for where I live and from a council perspective really it's just about weaving together projects that we're doing anyway um, into a, a more community-based way of planning and thinking about how the city grows. Uh, sorry, Jen, your point there, um, early on in your response there, you, you sort of referenced this idea or a concept that, you know, that the pain points aren't there yet. Is there a genuine sense and feeling and, and does the modelling show that there's kind of a, you know, a, a line at some point where the closer you're getting to it, you know, you're sort of really fundamentally becoming a different city and you need to sort of plan in the lead up to that. And, and if there is, how, how far are you, you know, like as Ian said in his introduction, you know, there's kind of this optimum size, right. Of, 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 of density and space and, and so on and so forth. Are you, are you far from that line? Do you know, where are you at? Well, so where that line is, is probably more a question for Ian than it is for me in terms of what, where it is. But like from a Hamilton perspective, like having, having lived in Auckland, part of the reason that I left was because it was so painful to get around and I couldn't easily get to the things that I wanted to get to on the weekend, right? And so, so I moved back, moved back home to Hamilton and it's a much nicer environment. We want to retain that. Mm. The other thing I think I um, mentioned in my, um, in my intro, Hamilton has, is really tight geographically um you know literally the red line in terms of what's in hamilton and what's out of hamilton mm. is not that far away and so from a growth perspective we have for a number of years um been been our biggest growth front has been in infill or intensification so half of all of the new homes built in hamilton are built in established suburbs and that is nowhere else in new zealand is anywhere near that so yeah. that is creating a much denser city anyway and so it's it's encouraged us or enabled us really to think more about what urban regeneration looks like and how do we how do we use that to our advantage from a land use perspective from an infrastructure perspective investment as well um, but also making sure that we're that we're lining up the amenity factors um, and lifestyle factors that people need in their neighborhood to enable them to live the kind of life that they want mm. yeah. a good way to think about it is that Hamilton's experiencing pretty sustained growth, uh, which is actually really good. Lots of cities would love that, but growth isn't automatically good. Mm. Growth can be bad. Mm. It creates congestion. If you put it in the wrong place, it means people have got to travel to work. It puts extra loads on your transport systems, your bridges, and so on. And so thinking about how you grow in a sustainable way so you retain that lifestyle offering is pretty central to it. I think the other the other unique point about Hamilton is different from Portland, Melbourne, all these other places that have been using this concept is that they're talking about retrofitting. So we're, they are, if you look at Auckland or any big cities, that might already be a one hour, 20 minute city, mm. not a 20 minute city. You've already got, so you're trying to bring the time down. With us, we're just not too far from that now. And it's about maintaining that with our smart plan on a growth. So we're not 
trying to fix something that's broken, which you do in other cities. We're trying to grow in a way which maintains the lifestyle of the people who live here. And, and I think the other point to make, which we touched on, is that the time is um, it's just brilliant communication device. When you try and talk about what is the purpose of planet, mm. you talk about resource consents or development control, and planning is not about that at all. Planning is around the next 20, 50 years about how we, you know, how we use land and resources and create the lifestyle that you enjoy now. And I'd like to try and work to create a city that in someone in 20, 30 years, they're thankful we made those decisions. And the example I always use to my students is every park you enjoy, someone fought for maybe mm. 20, 50, 100 years ago before you even born. And, and I think that's one of the things that planning can do. It can create this beneficial legacy or a bad legacy. Mm. And it's, that's what's smart about the 20 minute city. Can I ask a question um, a little bit off topic, but I think relevant. Um, my first trip to Hamilton was, um, I was, uh, I was out at the innovation park, the Waikato innovation park, I think it's called. Yeah. Uh, and I was blown away by almost like in the middle of nowhere, you know, suddenly you come across this campus and I mean, it's just brimming, you know, with, with intelligence and innovation and, and people of all ages and diversity. Uh, and and I, I was gobsmacked at the level of innovation around digital and data and um, technology. Um, it, it, it seems also for, from a, a, a research development you know, academic institution perspective, you know, really strong roots. What, what, what happened? Like, how did that, how did that come about? If we were to rewind sort of 30, 40 years in Hamilton, kind of was, has it always been there? Did, did something happen? Did you give away, you know, cheap rent or low taxes? How, how did Hamilton and the, the broader Waikato become this, hotspot of, of innovation? I think, well, I'll start with this one, Jen, and, and uh, I think there's something around its makeup. So you've got a, you've got a university and you've also got you know, one of the largest hospitals in the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. Uh, is there, right. And that's a lot of, we've actually got the most sort of PhDs or higher education sort of qualifications per capita pretty much in New Zealand. And because we've got a small size, that's the kind of clustering effect that sparks off innovation. Mm. So, I mean, that's one of the other things about the 20 minute city is by putting things in proximity to each other, you enable more interactions to happen, which enables these innovations to happen over coffee in city centers where you do meet people you know. It's a little bit like walking into chairs when you walk into a coffee shop in Hamilton, there's always someone you tend to know there. And so, there's a really nice size that enables innovation to foster and it, it does attract, um, it comes a little bit self-sustaining. Um, regarding the clustering effect, that's I mean, one of the things that has emerged without being planned. So there's a mm. lot of, Hamilton has basically been, like many cities in New Zealand, has been largely unplanned in the broad sense of the, of the word because we've just had sustained growth and we've not had to make hard choices over space. It's not like many of the places in Europe. So we're actually, we just release land on the periphery and release cells and we grow, but now we're getting to the hard choice time and that's where we need to be smart. Jen, can we, um, 
can we get a response from from you on that one as well? Yeah, sure. So um, Innovation Park itself was a collaborative effort and it was um, partly funded by an investment from from council. So yeah. I think that we have um, in Hamilton and in the broader Waikato region really have this kind of ethos of trying things out and um, giving it a go. Um, but really, really quiet and humble about it. So just up the road from, from my office, we have a, a business called Gallagher. It's the largest privately owned technology company in New Zealand. It's absolutely massive. Um, and, you know, they started many, many, many years ago mm. um, building electric fences and have just kind of grown and grown and grown from there. And, you know, the level of, of innovation and um sort of idea generation, innovation, um, coming out of that place is, is remarkable. And they, I mean, they are very much looking to um, encourage more businesses, more of those kinds of businesses here, more scientists to Hamilton um, to, to enable their teams to continue to think differently and find um, new ways and new perspectives to continue to grow their business. And there's a, there's a lot of that happening in Hamilton. I haven't been back very long and I went to a thing called the Kudos Awards which is a regional science award. And I the amount of times I just about fell off my chair that night at the stunning work that gets done around here. That's absolutely world leading. And who would know? Mm. Who would know? These people are very, we're very quiet about our achievements around here. And, you know, that's why you love the place. But, you know, we could stand to be a bit louder about it, Adam, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, you know, my first trip was, of course, you're flying to Auckland, right? And then you hire mm. a car and you drive down and you drive through beautiful countryside of course and you kind of think well where is this taking me and you kind of get to Hamilton you go oh, okay you know another little sort of city and then you're sort of unpacking it and it's kind of like full yeah. of this uh this uh this opportunity and richness um Jen can I talk uh sort of economic development for a moment um and, and I'm going to sort of roll up a a, a mega question just to sort of get <laughs> more, more your thoughts and reactions I mean sure you know, where, you know, it, this is being recorded. We still have COVID-19 alive in the world. There's certainly been um, some devastating effects, economic downturn in places uh, uh, all around the world. Can you, can you give us a sense of how you've weathered or not, you know, that the COVID pandemic from a, um, you know, from, from, from a business and, and economic development sense, um, and then can you share your, your reflections and, and how that might be informing uh, any future plans and, 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 and stimulus and, and, and mix of business? You know, how does, has COVID changed anything? You know, what, what's, the re, what's the sort of recovery look like? How bad was it? Sort of some reaction to those, those kind of issues. We'd love to hear from you. Sure. Uh, so Hamilton's feeling, faring uh, really well. Like I feel like I need to reach out for something that wouldn't. Mm. Um, but we don't, we're not really heavy in the tourism space. I mentioned Hobbiton and Waitomo Caves, obviously. Um, but Hamilton doesn't have an enormous tourism economy. Um, so we're doing okay. Uh, that said, there are absolutely businesses around here that are feeling the pain and will continue to do so. Um, one of the things that we did um, during lockdown um, or during the early stages of the pandemic was um, set up a fortnightly briefing for our elected members on the economic situation. And as so we we used obviously all the 
all the national data and all of our local data in terms of what we were seeing in terms of um, you know resource consents and building consents and what have you coming through and things were looking not as bad as we had initially thought but one of the things that we did overlay was um, interviews with key people in Hamilton the great thing about a city this size is that everybody knows everybody mm, mm. Um, so you pick up the phone to um, different sectors different size businesses and ask them a series of questions and every single time I asked how people felt Hamilton would fare compared to the rest of New Zealand I got a positive answer mm. that Hamilton would fare better um, because we have a diversified economy because we have a young very well educated workforce because of our geographic endowments that are not going anywhere anytime soon. Mm. And we've got some really big, strong um, companies in, in Hamilton that will enable us to continue to thrive, I guess. Uh, in terms of stimulus, uh, we felt very strongly that this was our opportunity to cement our our strategic pathway anyway. So the things that got put up from, from Hamilton and the Waikato area around um, government stimulus were very much aligned with programs of work that were happening anyway. This was an opportunity to fast track some of that. Mm. And the the 20 minute city was no different. It's a different way of packaging up um, the projects that we have and thinking about how we put people and I guess community outcomes first. Uh, but it wasn't fundamentally different to the direction we were going anyway. Economic development. Oh, yes. Um, one thing that we did do really early on, I had a conversation about two weeks into lockdown with uh, Richard Briggs, who's the chief executive here, and Ryan Hamilton, who is our elected member, who's the chair of the Economic Development Committee. And we had this really crazy conversation about, oh, what can we do now? How do we make this, rather than just reacting to a crisis, how do we make this a real opportunity so that in decades to come, people look back and go, wow, those, they did some really good stuff during that awful time. Um, and so was born the Economic Innovation Project, which basically started off as a brains trust of not the usual suspects. Mm -hmm. So different thinkers, different, different people getting into a room, us having this bold conversation about if we could fundamentally change the economy around here, what would we do? Mm. Um, and it very quickly fell into um, this innovation, smart, um, technology-led conversation. But that really feeding into all of the other sectors that are important around here, uh, but the primary, the primary sector really strongly underpinned by technology and innovation these days. Logistics, so just um, right, just north of Innovation Park, um, is uh, a piece of land that is owned by um, uh, Waikato Tainui, and Tainui Group Holdings are looking to build an enormous inland port. So freight and logistics fundamentally underpinned these days by robotics and um, innovation and technology and all of that underpinned by education so without an education sector that is delivering the kind of people and the kind of training that that these businesses need um, you know we we can't get to where we need to get to and happily we have three really great tertiary institutions in Hamilton so we've got all of these endowments to enable the economy to thrive for the long term yeah okay hey um hey Ian it's interesting. We look at the screen here. You can tell the urban planners, can't you, with the bookshelves behind them. Yeah. Um, can you, uh, I mean, from one planner to another, you know, I grew up and and still hold dear to my heart um, the analog way of doing things. You know, 
integrated transport land use planning, you know, where you put things. Uh, I think it's the foundation for, for any, you know, good city um, that, that you can love. Can you, can you share with me um, where, where you're at? And I don't necessarily mean you personally, but sort of the, the planning profession, the idea of planning, where are you at with the, the world of technology and data? I mean, Hamilton, the Waikato is, is this innovation, you know, um, epicenter. Um, however, are, are we, are we just still advancing planning as a very analog process of building tables full of things that you can and you can't do when we approve developments against them? Where, 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 where are you at with the, the sort of the, the digital transformation of the, of the planning profession? I mean, this is a, a, a slightly, you know, different perspective but we've actually had i think it's the opposite i think we've actually relied too much on numbers and, and not enough on values so we've had the rise of evidence-based planning and you know, uh, associated with the rise in technology um we've also had the rise in litigation as uh, the 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 costs of development refusal or development mm. gain have become as we've seen planning become a bit more lawyered up than it was maybe 20 30 years ago and that means you've got to defend more decisions and things around numbers and technology and modeling are, are very good for defending decisions. So we've actually seen a rise in um, things where we, we look at the environmental effects or the environmental impacts and we try and quantify that and whether it's about noise, water or, or so on. And so what that's led is to quite a defensive lit litigious planning system, not just in New Zealand, but in mm -hmm. many places around the world. And with a focus on uh, fast track planning, speed, numbers, it's become incredibly tip box. And so if you meet these criteria, you go ahead. But it means that some of the more value-based judgments around place creation tend to actually have fallen away than they have done. Mm. And I think that's, um, that's one of the things about the 20-minute city is it puts the vision back at the start. It doesn't mean it's, it's even, it could even be just as fast as some of the, the you know, the more rapid procedures, because as long as you accord with a vision, there could be a presumption that this is the kind of development that we'd allow to go ahead because it's aligned with our, our vision for the place. And so I think the RMA, which is the New Zealand version of the planning system, is quite, um, it's not very visionary. It's mm -hmm. not very integrated. It doesn't have that regional economics that you get in a lot of the major conurbations because it's never had to do that kind of decision making and we've never had a value on vision within new zealand planning and, and that's in common with many other places if you look at australia for example you had the massive increase in um density but it was separated from discussions of amenity around the mm. kind of lifestyle that these people are going to enjoy in these high-rise flats or high-rise apartments so it's trying to link both together and you do that by having a vision and by and talking about the values of what the people in the community want. And so I'd like to see technology serving a, a vision that people want rather than thinking about, can we defend a, a decision or what does the computer say with regard to our travel time efficiencies and so on. Mm, mm. Um, Jen, just about people in the community, Ian brought up that good point just then. Um, have you, uh, have you, will you um, look at um, community engagement around this concept of the, of the 20 minute city? How do you start having this conversation with, with your citizens? 
Uh, like, I mean, I don't think you can have, you, I don't think you can go down this road and not engage those people. It is, it is a people first strategy. Um, they need to be engaged all of the way. Um, so, I mean, this, this idea from a, within Hamilton City Council, I mean, nobody, we, nobody was talking about a 20 minute city um, three months ago. So this is a really new concept for, for the organisation. Um, but it has, as I said earlier, it's grown, sprouted these crazy wings mm. um, and it's becoming very much um, a way for us to connect all of the, all of the dots in terms of city building. Um, mm. And I think because of that, uh, it will become more and more the conversation that we have with our elected members and with our community around how the city will grow. And so I think that's the journey we're on now. How do we, how do we bring, how we, do the stuff now? How do we bring all of that together into this new vision that is really driven by people? Um, one thing the council has done over the last uh, couple of years in particular has really focused, is to be really focused on community engagement. We've tried lots of different um, types of engagement um, and it's been, it's been hugely worthwhile for, uh, for us in terms of gathering that intel, but actually having those belly to belly conversations as well. I think to Ian's point, it's all very well to ask people a survey question and get them to, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how into this idea are you? Um, but actually getting belly to belly with people and having that conversation just gives you a richness in terms of the feedback you're getting. Yeah, I think the thing I'd add to that is that this is, um, it's a partnership between you know, the university mm. and the city council, we can do things and ask questions without the constraint of politics. Mm. So we can provide these valuable sort of trusted advisor roles to try and introduce some of these issues into the public domain and roll them around and, and see what people make of them. And the idea of the 20 minute city is fundamentally, it's based on what is of value to you. So you need to have those discussions around what does it look like in this particular neighborhood? Because this is not something you can pull up off a peg and apply from Portland or mm. Melbourne and put it here. So it's very place-based, which means you need to interpret it with the public. The other point which we haven't touched on yet, which is really important to the engagement is, as part of the research bid, we've got kind of like a, a living laboratory where we're trying to collect data with citizens at the same time, because this is around providing evidence of change. So if we put this new infrastructure on, how is it influenced your life? If you're cycling more, how does it improve your health? So we're going to be working with partners to try and quantify and put numbers on some of the effects, whether it's local economic spending, it's health benefits, it's environmental improvements on noise or surface runoff. And, and also working with psychologists to look at behavioral change. How do people merge shift from one to another? What are the things that allow that to happen? And if you're working with communities as part of this live research sort of proposal over the next few years, where we're actually collecting data as we change it, that's a really good way to get real citizen engagement over a long term rather than just, here's our plan, what do you think? We then go away for three years and do it. So it's the way that we put this bid together makes that citizen engagement just part of how we're going to deliver it. Ian, I sometimes feel like, you know, planners have, have had a toolkit of, 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 you know, 12 core tools within it. Um, they're about 100 years old, um, you know, and, and they're really not going to date at all. Um, is there something in here, particularly this 20-minute city concept, you know, which technically has been around for a couple of decades. However, 
is there is there anything in particular that's exciting you is there something new that you're going to learn or you're going to experience from this or is this just you know finally after 40 years of advocating for this we, we we've got one you know we're going to finally do one or is there genuinely uh value add new thinking um you know there's going to be new gray matter going into this to sort of you know some sort of output or, or 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 value add if that makes sense yeah so i mean you're right that it does have its fingerprints on a few things in the past i mean you even go back to the garden city concept you'll you'll remember from your urban planning days and 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 then we had a big discussion around the 80s around polycentric urban centers which is this idea of um you know within your big cities you have your smaller neighborhoods that are operating almost on a 20 minute basis so in new zealand we would have places like ponsonby or or notting hill in london or, or these areas which are which are providing a lot of the amenity within a small center so the discussion became a little bit around that so in some way it's an extension of those kind of ideas mm. i think the real innovation is the use of time which is different um and the fact that you're you're making time a real way to to link to lifestyle so if you think about the productivity you spend wasted in congestion in a car it's given that back and time links to lifestyle as well but more than anything i think the missing link between this becoming a reality is that we don't have the evidence of the impact it will have mm. we can talk about these ideas and we we can sense they're a good thing but you can't a you can't impose them on communities and B, you need to demonstrate the impact environmentally, socially, and economically. And that's the real missing link to delivery that we've always had within planning, mm. is that we've not really got a big research agenda, which actually looks at some of these effects within the context of one concept. Mm. So, and also things which data's not that transferable between international contexts. So you might, you know from Portland, some of the mm. effects that it's had, you try and relate that to New Zealand political context and said this has occurred in Poland, and you get pushback because it's not as relevant. And so mm. there's a need to collect data in specific national contexts to win arguments in places, and and that's one of the missing links too. And it's and I'm, I'm I'm trying not to be biased here, but you know the the, the twenty minute city concept sounds like even from just this forty minute conversation we've been having. You know, it's it's a narrative and a and and a brand and agenda that touches every department within the city. You know, it's I'm feeling that this is a real golden common thread that potentially, you know, gives the gives the city you know a, a, a nice you know common sandbox to be in. What 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 comes next for the city around this uh, this idea? Well, I mean, I think. Um we hope to find out whether we get some funding in the next few weeks. So, so you're still waiting, are you? For, yeah. Oh, it has okay. been two, it'll be two weeks for a very long time. So I'm not yeah. holding my breath on the two weeks. Um, but, you know, that, depending on, you know, if that comes off, then we will move pretty quickly to, mm. um, to stand this up. If it doesn't come off, we're going to be having this conversation anyway. I mm. think that it has really sparked a, a sense of excitement around here and and in the city as a whole um you know just this idea that we're putting people and 
the, the kind of lifestyle they want and that livability right at the front of the thing, thinking around what this place is going to look like in decades to come. Um, the timing's perfect. We're going into our um, long-term plan planning round. Mm-hmm. Um, so the timing's perfect for us to have the conversation with our with our um, with Hamiltonians yeah. about whether this is something that resonates for them and if it's something that they want us to invest their money in. Yeah, yeah. So that's what's next for us. I think one thing which I'd, I'd like to add is one of the things we don't do enough around our cities is what, what they kind of call these, provide these new imaginaries, what it could be. So if you go out to the public and you say what do you want, there'll be more car parks yeah. or, you know, it, it's, but if you say, <laughs> do you want this? They go, ooh, that looks good. Mm, I want mm. that. Yeah. And so that's one of the things we've not done well enough is to say, provide an alternative vision and give them something to get excited around rather than just a lot of plannings around negative, don't want that there, not here, I don't want those effects, what about congestion, but it's a positive vision of what planning could achieve is really good. So um, there's a, there's an too, that just Sorry. to your point earlier, that conversation about what do you value? Like yeah. that actually starting with that, what, what are the things that are of value to you in your life? And you start with that, that's the problem you solve. You don't solve, you don't solve, you know, um, whatever, how do you get to work? Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think if it's not funded, it will be a huge missed opportunity for New Zealand. I mean, I'm completely biased because uh, I just think it's incredibly exciting. Um, and you just have to, with same as Jen, we're waiting. Mm. In. If the government wants to put it into place, so, I mean, just from a broad perspective, the national GDP of New Zealand's pretty low, sort of the debt, sort of the debt to GDP ratio is about 20%, just under. This stimulus package is going to increase that to 50%. Wow. Now that is a once in a working life opportunity. Once in a crisis opportunity. Yeah. And and so how do we use that extra investment, which we're not going to get again until I retire? So we've got this window to do something really exciting and really different other than just putting down infrastructure, which will create short-term jobs, to really get that transformative change. And that's what we've been arguing for. And it is challenging for government to think about, it is different from a lot of the other infrastructure packages that have gone in. Mm. And you know, it's a test on how we're doing our bit by being innovation. And so putting challenging ideas out there and it's in the government's court now. Yeah, it was actually... Um uh a, a, a friend from new zealand who uh mentioned um in in passing in a conversation a couple of weeks ago that um we, we, i was asking him how the how the funding was going and where decisions made and he did make the the observation that you know shovel ready doesn't necessarily mean shovel worthy uh and and there was a great article from mark thomas actually um who wrote about this being a once in a whatever opportunity to align this stimulus and investment with um you know productivity review outcomes from recent years the you know the sustainable development goals you know the 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 rush for jobs and shovels in ground really potentially loses that opportunity to to just build foundations for for prosperity decade on decade doesn't it the, the example I always use about infrastructure is it has a huge impact on, on the future lifespan. So if you think about where the A1 is, which is a major road going north from London, that was an old Roman road built in the same place. So 
that's a 2000 year old infrastructure decision that is so mm. shaping people's lives now. So the infrastructure that we build now, it's gonna, it's gonna live on. How often do we move roads? Mm. Mm. So this is not just infrastructure, this is lifestyle. And that's one of the changes in narrative we're trying to push. Mm. Mm. Um, okay, we're at time, final round of, uh, of, of sort of final question here. Uh, Ian, while you're talking, I'll, I'll get you to keep going. What uh, what are you looking forward to for the remainder of 2020, just more broadly, outside of 20-minute city stuff? Uh, well, I'm teaching next week uh, face-to-face with students. Wow, okay. So that is something I didn't enjoy teaching virtually online. It just wasn't the same. You don't mm. get the interaction. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, it's we feel in an incredibly privileged position in New Zealand. Jen touched on it. The the the, the COVID impact has been minor in comparison to other countries. I mean, it's been quite uneven. You've seen big impacts on Queenstown with their tourism, but from a regional centre, we can go to bars, we can go to restaurants, and it feels we feel very lucky. I'm looking forward to being able to visit my family in England maybe mm. next year that's one thing I'm looking forward to because it's still we've got the third second waves we don't know what the future holds and it feels it feels like the world's changed a little bit and I'm not quite sure you know how that's going to pan out so feeling very uncertain but just going to Hopefully, if we get this bid in, that will be made. That will be my next yeah, yeah. five years. Never mind six months. We'll be delivering this and trying to live up to the bill we've given it because we've talked it up as having potential. But then the balls in our court. We've got to back that up and deliver on it. That's right. And and not to put any more pressure, our listeners come from over forty four countries around the world. So um, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure they'll be looking forward to hearing the outcomes. Um, Jen, what about you? What 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 are you looking forward to for the remainder of twenty twenty? Um, just probably seeing how much things will change. I mean, I think we've we've been through this really crazy time where everything had to be fundamentally different. And we're at the other side of that. And, you know, I like this idea of not rushing back to business as usual until we decide what's worth rushing back for. So I'm really excited about how much things can change and how much we can do with this opportunity. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where the cards fall on that space. Uh, And outside of that, I think I'm really looking forward to uh, exploring exploring my own country. I mean, I think that I've lost count of the times that I've spoken to, you know, friends and colleagues who everybody was planning some trip to Japan or Canada mm. or Vietnam or South America, and and now we're going to to Gisborne and to Napier <laughs> and to to Northland and to Westport, and you know, there's something quite cool about mm. that. It feels like I'm going to a barbecue with my mates every weekend. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, Jen, Ian, thanks so much for joining us on the Smart Cities Chronicles today. It's been a fantastic conversation uh, and wishing you uh, the, the best of luck in the upcoming announcement, hopefully, of your 20, 20 minute city uh, sort of bid and application. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and for our listeners, that was Jen Baird, General Manager of City Growth at Hamilton City Council in New Zealand, and Ian White, Professor of Environmental Planning at the University of Waikato. Um, you can uh, subscribe to the Smart Cities Chronicles if you're not doing so already. Head to your favourite place or platform where you get your podcasts. You'll find us there. Just search for the Smart Cities Chronicles. Our website will also take you straight to all the episodes. The website is smartcitieschronicles.com. You can send us an email anytime, chronicles at anz.com. 
www.smartcitiescouncil.com. Thanks for joining us on another episode. My name's Adam Beck, host of The Chronicles. We look forward to bringing you another episode soon. Stay well, stay safe. Thank you.